0: a word of prayer with me. Praise the Lord. Uh, You can just feel his presence here. And every time I go into the holy place and come out of it, you pray in, you pray out. It's just smart. We, uh, We open up his word that way. Lord Jesus, we owe everything to you, Jesus. We owe everything to you. We are the imprisoned spirits that you spoke to and you freed, freed from a prison of self-doubt and anxiety and worry and frustration, anger, Lord, addiction. Over and over, you free people. You free imprisoned spirits. It's what you do. And we just don't take any of this lightly. We don't take any of this as like this is some social club. This is what we do. We just get together on a Sunday. This is part of what we do. And it's a big part of what we do. But it's supposed to propel us into our week. As believers, is supposed to slingshot us into the week. God, to get together with our church family and, and, and have that, that mutual love for this king that we have. That, that instant connection you have with other believers because of the kinetic Holy Spirit that's in both of us. Where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. There you are, Jesus, in the midst. So as we open up your word, and your word is powerful, your word reverberates in here, your word is just, it's so strong, it's so right, so on point, so applicable today like it was when you spoke it, like it was when you spoke things into existence with your word, it has the same power today. So as we get into it, you're still freeing imprisoned spirits. You're still setting people free. You're still setting your own people free when we decide to backtrack. You're still moving and breathing and talking and communicating, and you're still on your throne, regardless of what happens on this planet. So we love you, and we worship you, and we just ask God, please soften our hearts, open up our minds, help us to hear what you have to say today, and to move in it, and be obedient to it. Just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So here's where we are. We're in uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. But a really interesting scenario. You've got the worst king of all time and the worst king of Israel, absolutely, of all time, uh, who considered it trivial to commit the sins of all the kings before him. They were, they were doing horrible things. He's like, no, nope, not good enough. I'm going to outdo you all. And so this is Ahab. And it's Ahab and it's Jezebel, his wife, who would spur him on to just do just the most despicable things. So in the middle of Ahab's reign, this crazy thing happens. Right in the middle of his reign, everything goes right for Israel <laughs> in a spiritual way. It's got zero to do with him. It's got zero to do with him, and in fact, it's going to get him killed. But it goes so right, proving God is on his throne, even when leadership on the throne here is completely disastrous. God is still on his throne. And so the, the leadership at this time was despicable. In the next chapter, after what I'm going to read, he goes and finds this guy named Naboth. He wants his... his 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 vineyard, he wants it for himself. And he's a king. He has everything. This guy's got this little vineyard. He's there, but it's more convenient for me to have his. So they kill him and take it. It's just the kind of thing that this king would do constantly. (laughs) Even though he knew it was God's rules not to do this. So we're going to go into the chapter. Notice, though, that it had nothing to do with Ahab. Verse 1. First Kings 20, verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army. This is Arameans, uh, long-known enemy of Israel. Accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots, he went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. And he sent messengers into the city to, to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, this is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord the king, I and all I have are yours. Now, okay, he's got 32 kings aligned with him. And this is a known enemy who, all by himself, is pretty ruthless, pretty much like Ahab. He knows he's going to try to do what he says he's going to do. And he's vastly outnumbered. Still, if someone came to my house and knocked on the door and said, three times my size, I guess they'd have to be, I don't know, 20 feet tall. <laughs> and, and says, hey, 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 your wife and your children, they're mine. I'm going to take them. I'm going to chew his kneecap. I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna look inside for a bat and just take something out. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna go down easy. He's not going My wife and kids are in there. The last thing he's gonna do is just walk in there and just take them. It's not gonna be easy. I can promise you, it's not gonna be easy. I'm gonna wrestle for them. Come on. You don't say. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're yours. Well, first, just listen. Listen to what he says. The best of your wives. He's only talking to one guy. So, you've already got like massive problems that Israel has fallen into where God said from the beginning, I designed it to be one man and one woman. That's the way I designed this this marriage thing. And so he said, I'm going to take your wives, the best of your children, I'm take it all. He's like, Yeah, whatever you need. So, verse five the messengers came again and said, This is what Ben Hadad says I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of of your officials, and they'll seize everything that you value and carry it away. And the king of Israel summoned all. Oh, we okay? We want to make sure. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize someone was choking. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. I love you, dude. I, I'm, I'm concerned, too. <laughs> You're you you coming, coming together? Hey, we're going to stop everything. We're going to pray right now. Uh, You've got someone that's close to him. Put a hand on his back. <laughs> Lord Jesus, this is one of ours. This is uh, one of yours, more importantly. But this is our church family, and one of us is, this is what I'm talking about. If someone walks in and tries to take one of ours, Amen. we're not just going to stand here and let it happen. Amen. That's not what we're going to do, God. This is our church family. So Satan's not going to walk in here and say, hey, you know, I'm going to take this guy out of your... Ca-. No. Jesus, we ask you to cast off any kind of asthma attack or attack that's going on in our brother in Christ who we love. I ask you just promote healing and health and strength. This is a man who's given his life to you in the toughest of circumstances and knows you deeply. We ask, Father, that you just watch over him right now, right in this service, but also as he goes home. I ask Jesus for help, and I ask for you to move right now as we're doing service, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Not taking one of ours. Keep an eye on, Bruce. <laughs> But, Bruce, you asked me to keep going, so I'm going to oblige you just uh, so I don't make you feel any worse than I already do. All right. So, so back to where we are then. So verse 5, the messengers came again. They said, this is what Benedict says. I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives, your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palaces and your houses of your officials, and they'll seize everything that you value. They're going to carry it all, all of it away. And the king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land whose houses they're going to go through (laughs) and he said to them you see how this man's looking for trouble when he sent for my wives and my children my silver and my gold I didn't refuse him and the elders of all the people answered don't listen to him and don't agree to his demands well at least they got some sense (laughs) at least they've got some sense The king who's so backwards and and spiritually defunct, he has no sense. He has no spiritual sense. But he's got at least some elders who are like, dude, no, no. No, we're not going to give him all our stuff. And definitely not our family. But do you understand what just happened here? He said, sure, you can have my family. He said, well, I'm also going to take your stuff. No, no. No way. We're done. We're done here. I'm going to summon the elders. He said the family, but then he said our stuff. Like that's where he freaks out. That's ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, be careful, especially, and I'll say this to you, gentlemen, be careful that your stuff doesn't start to become more valuable than the family in your home. Be careful. Be careful that that doesn't happen. Benedad's threatened to take his family. Okay, okay, I see you're bigger than me. Go ahead. And your stuff. Mm. And that's where he's gonna fight. And the reason I say that more to men, men are such doers and 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 want something, you know, we we just we always have to have a wrench. <laughs> Working on something, trying to fix something. You know? For me it's a guitar. My wife would laugh if you hear me say, wrench, a wrench. You don't even know what that. Do you know what that tool is? Do you use one of them? I have. I just put a basketball hoop together at my house. It took about 20 hours, but I did finish it off. It was a stick, a base, and a rim, and I got that done. That thing's up. You know, if it falls on someone, it does, but it's up. <laughs> but the problem is, the thing is, the real situation here is, it's his, it's his stuff he cares about more than his family. That's disturbing. And it's unfortunately a human trait that we can get into our stuff and start paying less and less attention to our family, and that causes some real, real wrench in the works. So so he replied to Ben-Hadad, this is verse 9, he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, tell my lord the king, your servant will do everything you demanded the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. They left, and they took the answer back to Ben-Hadad. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm, I've shared this once with uh, a small group, but I don't know if I've shared it kind of large large church. And if I have, forgive me, but it really is relevant. But I had a group of kids who had just been to Helen back at age 11, as fifth graders in Florida. Tough, tough, tough school. Very normal to have fist fights and things. And we're going wonderfully, wonderfully in the public school where I teach. Uh, where I taught up until last year. Wonderfully, you're allowed to do The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, which is an absolute allegory of Jesus Christ. So, you know, you, you, just, you just lead them right to the answers they need to get, have them say it, you keep your job. And that, so I would do that kind of stuff all the time. You know, just, I just I knew there were kids in there that went to church. i just say, who does this sound like? Someone that died for everybody's sins and then got this one kid to turn around. It's Jesus, right! <laughs> right, tell the whole class that. And they will. And so we would work our way through C.S. Lewis like this. When we get to the point where the white witch comes, if you know the story at all, the white witch comes and she's got this poison Turkish delight. And the way C.S. Lewis wrote it was he said he, she, she knew, she's like the devil, she knew that when she dripped out that, that little poison and it turned to Turkish delight, it would give him something that when he ate it, he would desperately, desperately need more of it. And he would even forsake his family to get more of it. He would be desperate for it to the point where he'd forsake his family for more of it. Well, what she's trying to do is kill this kid and her brother and the two sisters that have come into Narnia. Because if she can kill the sons of Adam, kill the daughters of Eve, she stops the prophecy and she doesn't have to go to hell. Sound familiar? (laughs) So, so that's what the whole book's about. It's genius, actually. You ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then the six books that follow it? They are amazing. They're, they're not just kids' books. You can read them like that, or you can see what he's really talking about. So anyway, I tell the kids, everything in this is allegory, everything. I said, so I know a bunch of you are coming from some super-duper hard backgrounds. Yeah, it's very real. You, they punch each other over their place in line. So I just, I just know that every day you've got to be real with them. You don't, you don't just try to, you know, you just don't sugarcoat things. They, they, have, they don't need it. And so we're talking very real. I said, I know a lot of you have uh, a lot of things in your house where there'll be a parent or a brother or a sister, and they used to act a lot different. Now they don't act that way anymore. And they act like they don't even love you anymore, and just, they just don't look the same. They look sick. And, you know, hands are up everywhere. I was like, yeah, I know what you're seeing. So, you, so it's an addiction is what you're seeing. And there's something that's pulling that family from you. And you're thinking... You're thinking, see, Edmund in this story, he eats that Turkish delight, and he's willing to sell out Peter. He's willing to sell out Lucy. He's willing to sell out Susan. He's willing he, like, I don't care if you kill them all. Just give me more of the Turkish delight. And, and that's the way he approaches it. And he tries to get them there so she can kill him because he's, he's going to get a good spot. He's going to get killed too. He doesn't know it. And so I said, so everything C.S. Lewis is doing here is an allegory. So we've already, we, already know, we already know who the lion is. And we know she's a devil. And she drips that out. She's like, OK, if you take that, you'll sell out anyone in your family for it. And see, here's the problem. A lot of you kids, you think that your mom, she doesn't love you anymore. You think your dad doesn't love you anymore. You think your brother, your sister, or the older one that used to do all that stuff with you doesn't love you anymore. And that's not true. They're caught up in something. It is bigger than them, and they can't get out. They've taken this Turkish delight, and they can't get out. And, and it's not like they hate you now, and that sullen look is designed for you. It's not. They're so unhappy with their own life right now that they can't get to you with the love that they want to get. I'm telling you, that's what's going on. And this kid next to me, pff, down his face, weeping. This is an 11-year-old boy. A tough kid from the hood. He is not a kid that will go on his face weeping in front of everybody else in the classroom. And if he does, you let him do it, and you don't say anything about it. Then the kid over here does. We're sitting in a circle. Then this one does. Then this one, this one, this one, and the whole class is crying. And the Holy Spirit swept through my portable. I get chills talking about it now like like we're having church right in my portable. I got a friend, he's a Christian. He does, he does um, reading groups. This is his time to come in. He walks in like, what did you do to them? Why, why? what did you say? And they're all crying. He's trying to do his little group, and they're all shuffling to their stations to do their stuff, and they're, everybody's still crying. I'm like, dang, God, I don't know what to do. So I'm sitting at my desk just kind of praying. I'm like, I got to do something with this. I, I can't, and he's, and he's looking at me like, I can't. You know, all the kids, <laughs> crying at his little group. I was like, I can't. I said, okay, stop, 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 stop everything. This is stupid. Stop. (sighs) When you're hurting, the best thing to do, I know you all don't like to write that much, but the best thing to do is to write it down. It's almost like pouring the pain out. It's just like pouring it onto the page. And if you get to the place where we get to the end of that, and you're willing to share it, then what you find out is that, see, pain is crazy isolating. Pain's isolating. You think I'm the only one. I'm the only one feeling this way. I walk into church. I'm the only one feeling this way. I walk in this classroom. I'm the only one feeling this way. I'm the only one dealing with this kind of problem, and you and you isolate because you feel like I, I feel so bad. They all seem happy, and I'm not. And you, and and once people start sharing, you realize you are not alone. And and so so I'm going to actually just write it. All these kids that would soon that would punch me if I ask them to write, scrawling. Every all across my room, I, you, you can 't hear anything but sniffles and pencils that 's all you hear. I have to take these guys to lunch that 's a legal issue i 'm already blowing so many of them by doing what i 'm doing right now'm so I, I should at least at least bring them to lunch before someone comes <laughs> and finds out what 's going on in here. So we trudge down to lunch. no one says a word. All the kids walk in, they grab their trays, they walk back out to the room. Everyone, no one says a word. Everyone looking at me like, what did you do? <laughs> I, mean, I had one of those classes that walked in the lunchroom and everybody else, oh gosh, they're here. You know, and this class, this, I mean, they are just, just stoic. And they go back, so we go back to the room. Everyone's got their papers, everyone. Is anybody willing to, you know, I said, we'll just, we'll just eat lunch in the portable, we'll just eat you know, lunch in the room. And while we're eating lunch, does anybody want to read? the first weeper. I'm sitting on the front porch, and these drug dealers that my dad would work with come by and shoot him. And I watch it happen, and they take him, and he makes it. He makes it. So we go back home. It's a couple months later. He's recovering. He's just getting better. He's in the rocker out front. And I finish the job and shoot him again. And I watch him and he doesn't make it this time. I know he's telling the truth because I was told about it before he got to my room because it happened that previous summer. This kid, the second one, he's like, my mom is dating this guy. And he, and he just, he's trying to introduce the whole family of drugs, trying to get everybody to do what he's doing. He keeps trying to turn me into something I'm not. I don't want him to turn me into something I'm not, but I'm getting really angry. And then he starts to say some things. I was like, "Oh, oh well, let's roll it back up." <laughs> a little too much personal information about your mom, uh, and and then it starts going around the room. My my aunt, she used to come every time, get me for anything. Just just stop in and get me. She'd bring me flowers. She'd do this. This little girl was talking. She'd do all these fun things. It would be, uh, you know, a, 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 not a mother daughter, but she was kind of like that to me. So it'd be like aunt. You know, niece day. And we just do all these things, and she doesn't do it anymore. And when I see her, she's like, get out of here. You're bugging me. And, and she, she looks wrong. She's missing some teeth. And I'm thinking, what's happening? What's happening to you? And they're just all feeling that horrible pain that when someone gets caught up in some stuff that matters more than them, that they're willing to do what Ahab does and say, you know what, you can take my wife and my kids, you can take them, I, but I need this but i got to have this. I can't function without it. Jesus is even bigger than that. And what I've discovered is that Jesus is so big that when he pulls someone from that place, their desire is to fix everything with their wife and their kids. Their desire, whether they can or not, is to just make that be right and to not make that same mistake again. Because the more you know Jesus, the better you love your wife. And the more you know Jesus, the better you love your kids. I love them better because of who he is. I love my students better because of who he was. I always did. I treated it that way. I I love my family better all family i love my church family better because of jesus christ without him the love of god is shed abroad in the hearts of men through the holy spirit romans 5:5). and that says to me that there was a love that wasn't there before but now is because jesus is there and we are capable of so much more than we were before and then you have a weapon against things that you would have just traded everything for you have a weapon Ahab doesn't have that weapon He worships Asherah poles and Baals He doesn't know what he's doing So then ben sent another message to Ahab May the, This is the bad guy Well, they're both bad This is one of those movies where you watch it You're like, I don't care who kills who I don't even care how this ends Why am I still watching this? Have you ever been in one of those? You watch the movie, you're like, I don't The good guy is not, there's no good guy So Ben-Hadad is the other bad guy, the Aramean one. The Ben-Hadad sent another message to Ahab, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria, to give each of my men a handful. He's really throwing out the insults. The king of Israel answered him, tell him, one who puts on the armor shouldn't boast like someone who takes it off. So he can't take it anymore. He's insulted Ahab's pride, so he fires back. Benedict heard that message while he and his kings were drinking in their tents, and he ordered his men, prepare to attack. So they prepared to attack the city. Now stay with me, because this is very vital to what we're talking about today. Meanwhile, here's where God just moves. God, he died for us while we're yet sinners. He goes to the cross for us while we're sinning. He goes to the cross for the ones putting him on the cross. That's who this Jesus is. That's the love he has. And you think, oh, yeah, but yeah, but I'm a Christian and now I've, I've failed again. Well, get used to it because you're going to do it again and again. Don't have this, like, false assumption that you're going to be perfect now. We need a Savior. You didn't need him once. It's not like it's this marathon and it's like, go, and you go, and then just stop. You, like, accepted Christ and that's the end. It's a run. Amen. Paul says it's a race. You run like a runner that wants to win the race. You fight. You don't just beat the air. If you're a boxer, it's, 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 a, it's very targeted. Right, Max? It's very targeted when you box. You better watch him. He'll throat punch you. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> and you'll never hit him. You'll never hit him back. One, you'll be gasping, but you won't hit him back. He knows how to avoid it. This is what he does. So... Now we're at this position where Ahab's a total disaster. Another total disaster comes in because often God will do that. You're doing everything wrong, he'll bring someone worse than you. <laughs> bring him in. Let's set you straight. So, meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced because this is how awesome God is. This is what the Lord says You see this vast army? 32 kings, 33 actually. I'll give it to your hand today, and then you'll know that I'm the Lord. You know what's frustrating? God doesn't just say random things. He's saying, I'm going to do this, and then you'll know that I'm the Lord. You know what that means? That means that after this happens, when he does do it, because he does, Ahab will know that he's the Lord. So now Ahab knows, and he still keeps doing the things he's doing. Ahab knows. Once God moves and he makes himself very available, very real to you, well, now you know. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that knowledge? Am I going to move in this? Am I going to be obedient in this? Am I going to start to, 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 to press in towards him and figure out how to live correctly? Or am I just going to keep doing what I was doing that made him get my attention in the first place? Because he wants to spend time with you. So... You see this vast army? I'll give it into your hand today, and then you'll know that I'm the Lord. But who will do that, asked Ahab. And the prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. The junior officers, the ones you've been in, the junior officers in training, they're the ones that get the victory. The junior officers under the provincial commanders will do it. And who will start the battle, he asked. The prophet answered, you will. Start the battle with that army way bigger than yours. So Ahab summoned the 232 junior officers. Let me just, just junior officers. You know, just fix these guys with that little, you know, the, the PAL program. And, and they, got, they got that little uh, deputy sheriff sticker. Send those guys, they'll win the war. We don't, no, stop pushing me out here. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I like got a sticker. I haven't been to any college or nothing. So, you know, 232 junior officers under the provincial commanders. Then he assembled the rest of the Israelites, 7,000. When David counted the army, he had like a million. 7,000. Israel's a mess. They set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him were in their tents getting drunk. There's no hero in this story, guys, except for God. The junior officers under the provincial commanders went out first, and Benedad had dispatched scouts who reported, men are advancing from Samaria. He said, "Ah, if they come out in peace, take them alive. If they come out for war, take them alive. Keep drinking, everyone. The junior officers under the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them, and each one struck down his opponent. At that, the Arameans fled, with the Israelites, 7,000 of them, chasing this enormous army... The Arameans fled with the Israelites in pursuit, but Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. The king of Israel advanced, overpowered the horses and the chariots, and inflicted heavy losses on the Arameans. Afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel, and he said, strengthen your position, see what's got to be done, because next spring, the king of Aram will attack you again. That actually is very good advice, people of God strengthen your position. If you think you're standing strong, strengthen it. Draw in closer. Press in more to this king of kings because things are coming. Things are always coming. Satan's always going to make an attack. He's always coming. If you're not prepared and you only got 7,000, that's usually when you lose. He's always coming. Be prepared because the one we serve can step on his head. (laughs) Meanwhile... The officials of the king, verse 23, uh, advised him, their gods are gods of the hills. That's why they're too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely they'll be strong, we'll be stronger than they. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commands. Replace them with other officers. You must also raise up an army like the one you lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains then surely we'll be stronger than they. He agreed with them. He acted accordingly. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans. They went to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats (laughs) while the Arameans covered the hillside, the countryside. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I'm the Lord. This is try two for Ahab. This is take two. Take two. I'm going to do it again for you. Same thing. Their army's just as big as the other one. Why do you think they made an army that's 32 kings again, just as big as the original one when they got just trounced by the junior officials? Why do you think they've done this? God did it. God's allowing them to think that uh, he's a God of the hills, not a God of the plains. We can beat him. We can still beat him. Good. Start up another army. Go ahead. Try again. He's allowing this. He's teaching Israel a lesson. The size of that army means nothing to me. But your walk with me means everything to me. Your walk with me is what matters, not the size of your adversary. Your walk with me. I'm bigger than any of the adversaries. Your walk with me is what matters. So I'm trying to develop that with you. When I did it the first time, I told you you'd know I was God. You did, and now you're still worshiping Baal and Asherah poles. What are you doing? I'm going to do it again. Same size, same scenario. Here I go. So for seven days, they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day, the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers, in one day, 100,000. Remember, a year ago, he had an army with 7,000. I doubt he's got a lot more. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, verse 30, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. So now 127,000 Arameans are dead. There must be a lot of them, because that's the same size of the other army. And then Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an inner room. Now, this is key. Please listen to this. His officials said to him, Look, we've heard that the kings of Israel are merciful. Let's go to the king of Israel with sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads. Perhaps he'll spare your life. Wearing sackcloth around their their waist and ropes around their heads saying that's a sign of your white flag surrender. They went to the king of Israel and said, your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. (laughs) I know I was going to take your family and everything. (laughs) Let's forget all that stuff. Water under the bridge. I know I, I assembled another army to try it again. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Um... The king answered, is he still alive? (laughs) He's my brother. The men took this as a good sign. They're quick to pick up his word. Yeah, 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 your brother, Ben-Hadad. That's who I am, they said. Go and get him, the king said. And when Ben-Hadad came out, Ahab had him come up onto his chariot. I'll return the cities my father took from your father, Ben-Hadad offered. You can set up your own market areas in Damascus where I live just like my father did in Samaria where you live. Let's be friends. Ahab said, on the basis of a treaty with you, I'll set you free. So he made a treaty with him and he let him go. Wow! Listen, what is so frightening about this? is the condition of the human heart. Yeah. And you might say, oh, wow, that was merciful, that was good. No, it wasn't merciful. It wasn't good. I'm going to compare this with another scripture to, to, to land this point because I want to make sure that, that we understand where this is going and why this matters so much. But your next slide should be uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 10. And I'm just waiting for my my phone to catch up to, so here we go, Uh, Colossians 5, 3, 3, 5 through 10, there is no Colossians 5, do not go there, (laughs) that Bible is a bad Bible, if it has that, don't, don't look there, all right, it starts like this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You're really just putting something else in front of God and calling it your idol. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self, with its practices, and you've put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The reason this matters so much is the next section in in 1 Kings, now I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to tell it to you instead of of reading it off to you. A prophet comes, and he tells another prophet, hey, 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 smack me in the head, and the guy doesn't. And he gets eaten by lion. So when a prophet asks you to do something, do it. Just, just do it with no questions asked. So another prophet doesn't want to get eaten by a lion. He does whack him in the head. And then he puts a band on his head. And he rushes off to the king. And he's sitting there with a band over his face so the king can't tell who he is. He says, king, king, as he's going by. And he's like, yeah? He said, I was in a battle. And I had this guy. And I was supposed to guard him. And I didn't guard him. I got busy. And he got away. And they told me that I'd go into prison if that happened. And the king's like, ah, uh, you just pronounced your own judgment you let the guy go, life for life and he pulls the band off and the king recognizes him as one of the prophets and he's like this is what God says to you you let live a man that I said should die you let live a man that I said should die life for life that's how this is going to go life for life And Ahab goes home in his little pouty mess like he often does, all sullen and angry that a prophet spoke to him. And that might sound harsh, but you know what's happening here? God is saying to us today, do not make a treaty with a person that he designed to be dead. You know who that person is? You before Christ put to death what belongs to your sinful nature. That old self you were before Christ should die, it should die mercilessly. No treaties, no treaties. No, I'm going to bring you back up onto my chariot and let's hang out for a while. Let's look at the old porn we used to look at. Even though I'm a Christian, I don't really do that anymore. Oh, let's bring you back up on the chariot. Let's keep drinking that same alcohol that got me to lose my whole family because I kept doing it I couldn't stop. I'm going to just take a few chances with you. New treaty, new treaty. Hang in my chariot with me for a while. God said it's dead. That old man is dead. That old woman is dead. Put to death. What belongs to your old self. Now you're a new creation in Christ. That's what the scripture says. You have the power of the living God living inside of you. And he's an envious, jealous God. Envious is the wrong word. A jealous God. Why jealous? He's not willing to let someone come and take his wife and children out of the house. He's not willing. He loves you too much. So he doesn't want pornography there. He doesn't want the impurity there. He doesn't want the addiction there. He doesn't want the brokenness there. He's fixing it. He's healing it. He'll run right into it. He's not not afraid of it. And you can't shake him. But man, why make a treaty with it? Why go backwards? Why taste that the Lord is good and go backwards? And be willing to sell out others to just have what you want in the moment. See, the problem with sin is sin, and this is a finish line sin is a grenade. When you sin, you're not intending to hit every target that you hit, sin is a grenade. So you pull the pin and you just throw it in a room. It's just, it's just going to hit who it hits. Sin is a grenade. Those 11-year-olds those, those in my class, those 22 11-year-olds, they were unintended targets of someone else's sin. They, they, they didn't do anything to deserve it. They just, someone pulled a grenade and it blew everybody in the house. Sin is a grenade. It has no intended target. It just goes off in every direction. It's intended to hurt as much as it can possibly hurt. That's what it's supposed to do. That's how Satan works. He only comes to lie, cheat, and destroy. That's why he comes. Don't make a treaty with him. Don't invite him into your chariot. Don't invite him into your household. Don't go backwards. God said that man should be dead. You're a new creation in Christ. That man's dead. Achan did not intend to kill 36 people when the Israelites fought Ai just because he stole a bar of gold and a Babylonian cloak out of Jericho when it was demolished. But because of his sin, he made Israel liable and 36 other people died in a battle that looked like just the easiest battle. He didn't intend to hurt them. That wasn't his intention. He just wanted something and he took it and then these 36 died. David didn't want 70,000 to die in the capital city because he counted the men. He was just getting cocky. How big is this kingdom I've built? Let me count it. You know what it took a year to do that census? A waste of time. God wasn't happy. Nobody was happy about it. And then people are dying, and David's like, no, 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 they're just sheep. I did this. They're just sheep. I did this. At least he recognized. There are all these unintended targets with sin. So it's we've got we to gotta understand that even though sin always feels good in the moment, of course it's going to feel good in the moment. Otherwise, nobody would do it. I wouldn't eat Humpty Dumpty's all-dressed chips if they weren't so stinking good. And I know I can't just, one bag's not going to do it. So I understand what it's doing. I get it. You know, it is vital that, you know, in the moment, sin feels so good, and you think, oh, it's just, just me, it's just this quiet place, nobody knows about this. It, it, is, it, is, it is on the radar of heaven. And in the spiritual realm, everyone knows about it. And there's a lot of unintended targets that are going to get hit by it. And as a people of God, we need to galvanize our walk with him by fellowshipping with each other, by praying by worshiping, by being a family of God that's accountable to each other. This whole thing of popping one church, another church, another church. I want to work with other churches all the time, but you'd better pick a church and stop this thing where you bounce around to all these different churches because when you do, there's no accountability. No one knows your life. No one knows who you are. You walk in, you walk out. You walk in, you walk out. Nobody even knows who's holding you accountable. We need accountability. We desperately need it. And so you should pick a church family. That is your church family. You stick with that. Can you visit other places? Yeah, of course. Do that. Can we work with other churches? Absolutely. I highly encourage it. But I encourage you to pick a family of believers that you are loyal to and you're fighting for too. allows you to be a part of something in the kingdom of God. And this matters. Amen.